to be here today and welcome everyone. If you're here for the first time, I want to welcome you. Our lead pastor, Steve Pearson, is recovering really, really well from gallbladder surgery. So thank you for your prayers for him as well. He's doing great. Uh, And uh, we just thank God for being a healer today. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, it's Palm Sunday. Welcome to Palm Sunday. Turn to uh, the book of Luke, chapter 19, I'm going to be read, reading uh, verses 28 through 48. It's a pretty long uh, excerpt, but uh, won't be up on the screen. Uh, just uh, bear with me as we read through God's word. This is the triumphal entry, if you can picture Jesus coming into Jerusalem. It says this, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill, called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples, and everyone else actually, began joyfully to praise God in loud voices, watch this, for all the miracles they had seen. For all the miracles they had seen. Here's what, they, here's what they were shouting. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Matthew's account of this event is they were shouting out Hosanna in the highest just like we sang. Hosanna. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Rebuke, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Someone say amen. Amen. And as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city. And I want you to picture this. People shouting the praises of their king coming in to deliver them and establishing a kingdom. And here's Jesus weeping and crying. Uncontrollably, actually. And he wept over it, and he gives this prophecy. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side, and they will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. In other words, everyone's there shouting, but they missed it. Verse 45, switches gears. He moves from being sad to mad. And then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of robbers. And every day he was teaching at the temple. But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him, yet they could not find any way to do it 
because all the people hung on his words. Father, we thank you for the reading of your holy word. And we are hanging on your words. Not my words, but your words and your truth. And I pray that you would reveal the truth that you want in this message to come out by hiding me behind the cross so only you could be seen or heard. And I pray that your word would not fall on deaf ears. That you would give clarity to those that can't see, can't hear, can't receive. But today would be the day of salvation. Today would be a day of clarity. Today would be a day of deliverance. Today would be a day of miracles. And we pray that you would have your way on this Palm Sunday. And I pray that we wouldn't miss the message of Palm Sunday here at COS this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So did you ever hear a a song and a, a lyric that you thought for years said something years later? That's not what the song said. I mean, my wife is, I'm always singing crazy songs in the house. And Carol always say, you know, that's not what the song says. That's, that's not what the song says. Like, if you ever listen to, like, a Bob Dylan song, who can understand anything that Bob Dylan sings? Any of us, you know, that's a, and, you know, and you take one of his songs, you know, Bob Dylan blowing in the wind. You know, the answer, my friends, blowing in the wind. It's good. I don't know if that's a good Bob Dylan. But I always thought he, he was saying, the ants are my friends. They're blowing in the wind. That's what it sounded like. But actually, it was the answer my friend, is blowing in the wind. Confused. For many years, myself, heard it for many years. Credence, Clearwater Revival. Anybody like Credence? Bad moon rising, don't go around tonight. Well, it's bound to take all night. There's a bathroom on the right. That's what I thought it said for years. For years. Only to find out years later there's a bad moon on the rise. Who knew? Who knew? I didn't know. Elton John's song, you know that song? Everyone knows this song. Hold me closer, Tony Dancer. And I'm thinking for years, what does Tony Danza? Why is he singing about Tony Danza? Only to find out, you know, Tiny Dancer. Tiny Dancer. And then there's Three Dog Night. I'm thinking these guys must have had a spiritual awakening. They come out with this Joy to the World song. I mean, everybody loves that song, Joy to the World. I mean, joy to the visions that the people see. Is he talking about prophets? You know, but I found out years later, joy to the fishes in the deep blue sea. (laughs) Not the visions that people see. They had nothing to do with God, Three Dog Night. And then this one, Bon Jovi, you think it's a song about prayer, right? Doesn't make a difference if we make it or not. Well, (laughs) got in trouble for that one. Because actually it said, does it make a difference if we make it or not? <laughs> Man, I tell you, it's embarrassing. It really is embarrassing. And my wife's always having to correct me. That's not what it says. Not what it says. You know, it's embarrassing because you can't believe you've missed something so obvious that you hear over and over and over and over throughout the years. And today is Palm Sunday. And it's the start of Holy Week. And when you look at the events of what happened on Palm Sunday and everything that happened that week leading up to the cross, and every, every event is significant, and we don't have time to go through all of it, it's safe to say that what the people were hearing and what they were witnessing was completely different than what Jesus was saying, has said, and what he was demonstrating as he was coming down to Jerusalem. There was an unspoken virus 
that consumed Israel up to that point. And you know what? That virus is still around today. And it's plaguing us today. And I see it everywhere. It's called the virus of spiritual blindness. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And they're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. Millions of people couldn't see what Jesus was coming into Jerusalem for. They were there. They were shouting, Hosanna. And so, realistically, Palm Sunday is a tale of two kingdoms. And I want you to try and see things not just from the lens of Jesus, but I want you to see things this morning from the lens of a kingdom and from the lens of a kingdom representative if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. And don't miss this. While the crowd was rejoicing, and there was a lot of them there, Bible scholars estimate that there was close to 2 million people that converged in on Jerusalem. People from Galilee where he ministered. People who saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. Everywhere, and they converged in because it was Passover week. They came in for the feast. I mean, everyone, it was just the perfect storm. And everyone's cheering their king to come and save them. And as they're cheering, as they're shouting out praises, blessed he is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Here is Jesus seeing the whole picture, weeping uncontrollably. Crying uncontrollably. It's not the first time that we see Jesus weeping. When he prayed for his friend Lazarus, the Bible said he wept, and that was it. It was sort of like a a demonstration so that Martha and Mary can see and everyone could see. And they said, see how he cares. But this one was a different type of weeping. This one was a deep sorrow because he saw their hearts. He saw it from the beginning to the end. He saw their motive and he saw how they were missing why he came into the first place. He wept like the prophet Jeremiah said in chapter 9, verses 1. All that my head were a spring of water, my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. So that's why they call him the what prophet? The weeping prophet. Try and picture this from the lens of the Savior. You know, we celebrate Palm Sunday, but Jesus was weeping and crying on Palm Sunday. The people are rejoicing because they have no idea. They wouldn't rejoice if they knew judgment was coming. And wherever Jesus looked, he found, he found reason to cry and to weep. You see, if he looked back at his three years of ministry up to this point, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, doing one miracle after another. He wept because they wanted those things more than they wanted to repent of their sins and find out what living for this other kingdom Jesus was establishing was all about. And he wept over that. If he looked within, he found reason to weep due to the spiritual blindness and the ignorance in the hearts of the people. They should have known he was God. Because God had given him his word. And he sent messengers to prepare the way. And he spent three years with them. And Jesus knew that the majority of those singing his praises, Hosanna in the highest, would soon, days later, 
be singing the chorus of crucify him. And that made him weep. They went from blessing his name to crucify him. And that made him weep. If he looked around, Jesus had another reason to weep because all he saw was religious activity that kept people away from the presence of God. The temple had become a a den of robbers, of thieves. And the religious, the religious wanted to kill him. See, the religious will always want to kill the anointing of God. They'll always want to kill anything to do with salvation, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the true word of God. See, instead of praying for the people, the priests were praying on the people. They were taking advantage of them. And because Jesus could see the future and what was waiting for Israel, he saw a terrible judgment coming to the nation, the city, and even the temple. You see, in 70 AD, the Romans would come, and after a siege of 143 days, they they killed 600,000 Jews, captured thousands more, and destroyed the entire city and the temple brick, stone by stone, brick by brick. The whole city was destroyed. Why did that happen? Because the people heard a different lyric and a different message from Jesus. Spiritual blindness. They simply missed the fact that the God of the universe came to be with them. That the God of the universe loved them so much that he wanted to spend eternity with them. That he had to take care of a problem that they couldn't take care of themselves. Their sins. And that he would come and purchase them And take their sins, become their sins, die to their sins, defeat that sin so that we can be declared not guilty. They missed that. In John 1, he puts it this way in verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He wept because of that. The procession starts in a very interesting place a place called Bethpage. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about Bethpage. A lot of Bible scholars don't talk a lot about Bethpage. I can. Not the Bethpage in, in the Bible. There's a place in Long Island called Bethpage, Long Island. And in Long Island, there's a public park that has five golf courses on it, all different colors, red, orange, green, blue, and then there's black. And the black course at Bethpage State Park is considered one of the toughest, if not, I think it's the toughest golf course in the world to play. It used to be, Sam Snead played there years ago and walked off the course and said, this is too hard for me. And they actually made it easier for the pros to play, and they wouldn't play pro tournaments there until they tamped down the course and made it easier. Now, if you got a tee time and you played at the black, and I played there a few times, it's typical New York course. There's a sign on the first tee box, the first hole, that's the actual sign. It says the black course is an extremely difficult course. We only recommend highly skilled golfers play this course. And just like typical New Yorkers, you'll get on the first tee, and typically you had to wait all night. You had to camp out in your car just to play the place. And then when you finally got to the tee box, there's a crowd there, and they're all watching you. And if you hit a bad shot, they start yelling at you, get off the course. Crucify him. <laughs> it's like, what do I do? You know, it's so much pressure on the first hole. And if you hit a good shot, they cheer for you. Hosanna in the highest first hole. It's, very, it's a very difficult 
golf course. Listen, Jesus, the journey that Jesus was about to take was going to be the most difficult journey of all. And he's weeping. He's not weeping because of what he would have to face. He took joy in that. He took great joy in that. You see, Jesus came to Jerusalem with the cross in mind. See, here's something you should never forget. The cross is the intersection of God's love and justice. And a lot of people don't understand love and justice. And both had, both were on full display all throughout Holy Week, especially on Good Friday. Now, again, they estimate that we're talking about a couple of million people that came to that came from everywhere to see Jesus establish his kingdom, but it was a far different kingdom than the one that they wanted established. And for three years, Jesus was speaking to people about this kingdom. It's another reason why he wept. He taught them about the kingdom. He spoke in parables about this kingdom that he's establishing. And as for me and you, we should, be, as kingdom representatives, we should be consumed with kingdom thoughts, making kingdom plans, operating under kingdom jurisdiction, exacting kingdom judgment on anything that opposes anything to do with the kingdom. That's what you're called to do. That's, that's your calling. That's your inheritance. And he's telling everyone how to think, how to act, how to live like a kingdom representative. And he talked about the kingdom. I think there were 13 parables alone just about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And just, but just like the lyrics that we miss in the songs, they miss that message. He taught them how to pray for the kingdom. He gave them the Lord's Prayer. He said, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He taught them the antidote to worry when he said, seek his kingdom. His righteousness first. And all these things you're worried about, they'll be added to your life. And then here's the one thing that so many people overlook in Matthew 4, 17. Is this was the, the central message that Jesus preached wherever he went. A lot of, I hear a lot of people say, well, he preached more about money. Well, he preached more about... No, Pre- Jesus had one central message that he preached over and over and over again in Matthew 4, 17. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the two go hand in hand. Because you can't experience the kingdom without repentance. And repentance is a beautiful thing. And Jesus is establishing his kingdom. And everybody there thinks he's establishing another kingdom. They were praising God for all, for, for all the wrong reasons. See, they wanted that political savior. They thought Jesus was about to take control, but they missed the suffering part, the taking care of their sin part, the repentance part. They wanted Jesus to level the Romans. Instead, Jesus levels the money changers at the temple, and he turns over and chases out those who are making a buck, taking advantage of the people. It was a happy day. That would eventually turn bitter as the same people would turn on him. The same people who were yelling out in praise, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save now. Save us now. Hosanna. It's a challenging thing to say. 
because they wanted saving without the salvation. They wanted to be saved without the salvation. They wanted Jesus to save them. They just wanted a king, but for only a day. And again, I want you to see it. I want you to picture it, panoramic. They wanted a king for only a day. The crowd is in a frenzy, cheering. And Jesus lets them cheer. But as they're cheering, he's weeping and crying uncontrollably. And then he moves from being sad to being really mad. And he enters the temple area and drives out those who is, and drives out everyone in the temple. And he said this, and this is a key thing. He's operating with the authority that God is, he's operating now as, as the king, establishing his kingdom. When he says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, why did Jesus call the temple a den of robbers? Because the place where robbers hide out, where thieves hide out, is is always called a den. The religious leaders and some of the people were using the temple and the Jewish religion to cover up their sins. Let me ask you today. What does God want in his house? Prayer. What does God want his house to be known as? Prayer. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. Not a house of worship, although we need it and we love it. Not a house of teaching, although you could do without it sometimes. A house of prayer. The atmosphere should be prayer. The power of God should be, and the presence of God and the miracles of God should be normal in the house of God. You see, prayer, true prayer reveals our dependence on God. True prayer activates the power of God. And God wants his people who need help to get the help that they need. And that help always comes in the form of prayer. There should be power in God's house. The power of God to change people. The power of God to heal people. The power of God to set people free. The power of God to take authority. The power of God to cast out wicked spirits. The power of God to help people break off every single chain every single thing that keeps them stuck, every single addiction, every single stronghold that needs to be pulled down, every single ounce of fear, guilt, shame, worry, anxiety should be pulled down by the power of God through prayer in God's house anytime. Anytime. And Jesus is saying, you're replacing something that needs to be done in the house of God because the place of prayer should be the place of action. That's the place where people come to me and said, I need you. I need you now. I need help now. And he's really upset. It's called righteous indignation. He didn't sin during all of this. And it's a different picture of Jesus. Oh, how I wish I had a table to throw on some of you right now. It's not a picture of Jesus you see often with a whip driving out people. Everyone says, oh, he's so meek and mild. Well, meek is strength under control. And he was fully in control, even in his anger. Driving out the merchants, knocking over tables. You see, they were keeping people from coming to the temple. Now watch this. We are called temples 
of the Holy Spirit. Our identity in Christ, if we've accepted Christ, is that we are a house of prayer, not the church. You're the church. It's not just a building. We are called temples of the Holy Spirit. We're to be houses of prayer. Are you known as that person of prayer? I get a lot of people, I don't know, I'm afraid to pray, I'm not sure. Let me tell you, if you can, if you can open up your mouth, you can pray. If you can say help, you can pray. If you can cry, you can pray. If you can say, Lord, I need you, you can pray. If you can read the scriptures, you can pray. And your prayers are just as powerful as anybody else's. And if you've been a Christian one day, one hour, one minute, your prayers are as powerful as someone walking 50 years with the Lord. Because God's no respecter of persons. And let me ask you today. If Jesus came to visit your temple and house of prayer, would he come with a whip and turn over tables? Or would he come and smell the aroma of your prayers that have come up as a memorial before him? See, one day a guy named Cornelius, first Gentile ever saved, always prayed, always gave, and an angel appeared to him and said, your prayers and your giving to the poor have come up as a memorial before God. Your prayers go up. That's how important prayers are. They go from your mouth into a sweet aroma, and they come before the presence of God, and God cherishes your prayers. He stores them in bowls. I mean, how awesome is that? Their sin was keeping people from God. And let me, let me say this. God doesn't like it when we keep people away from him. People walk into the church. Some people say, you don't look right, you don't dress right, you don't smell right, you don't talk right. My worst fear is that someone may walk in church and then get turned away. That should never, ever happen. I remember working in a church, we probably spent about 40 grand in a big mega church to come and tell us who our target group was. You know, who, who we're going to reach as a church after spending a month with the staff, a big staff, like 153 people on staff, spending thousands of dollars. They came to this conclusion that our target audience was late 20s, early 30s, married couples with two children. They went around to the staff and said, everyone agree, that's our target audience. And it came to me. And they said, Bill, do you agree? I said, well, what about the people that need Jesus? What about the people dying and going to hell? What about the homeless person? What about the person in jail? What about the person struggling with drugs and alcohol? Because those are my type of people. Those are the people that need Jesus. Those are the people I want to target. And those are the people I want to come into the house of God. Shut up, Bill. This is a place to worship God. This is a place to find hope. And no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you believe, no matter what you don't believe, this is a safe place for you to find a relationship with Jesus Christ, find the abundant life in Christ, find eternal life, find hope, because there's always hope in Jesus Christ. This is is a hospital, okay, for the broken and the lost, as well as a place for the saints to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. The church should do both well. And I'm so grateful to be a part of COS that does both well. Aren't you? 
See, I am one of those people. And I'm proud and grateful to be one of those people. And you know what? You are too. Listen, you may be the first and last Christian that a non-believer will ever have contact with. Do you know that? And you know what? For a person that doesn't know the gospel and doesn't know truth, they may not listen to a pastor. They may not believe a single word I say or preach out of this book. But you know what? They're looking at you. And you may be the best Bible they will ever read. So I want to ask you today, what type of translation are you? Are you a good translation? Are you a message translation? All grace, not a lot of truth. Let me ask you this. You will never lock eyes with another person that Jesus Christ hasn't died for. I always find it amazing how ugly our sins look when other people commit them. Someone say, ouch. And let me ask you, are you a bridge barrier or a bridge builder? Are you a stumbling block or a stepping stone? Listen, this was the second time Jesus had to clear out the temple. If you remember, when he started his ministry, he cleared out the temple. And it's not a new thing. This was also in the Old Testament, temples had to be cleared out as well. Let me just say this about the religious leaders. And let me say this about you today. You don't need a little religion. You need a lot of Jesus. I need a lot of Jesus. And I want to say, don't just make Jesus king for a day. Make him king every day. Let Jesus take your sin. Let him forgive you of that sin. Let him become your sin. Die for that sin. Defeat that sin so that you can overcome sin. You can overcome the grave. You can overcome death. And you can have a resurrection Sunday that will celebrate next Sunday like never before. Let Jesus do that. I'm excited about Easter. I know it's Palm Sunday, but I'm excited about Easter. I can't wait for next Sunday to say, he is risen. But therefore, I'm forgiven. That's what we should, he's risen, therefore I'm forgiven. When was the last time you realized how greatly you have been forgiven? Mm. So here's the sequence of events that take place all week leading up to the cross, okay? You may want to take a break. We're going to be here until 8 tonight as I get through this. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We don't have enough time. I think next year at Encounter, we're going to spend three months talking about Holy Week. Because... There's so, there's so much in here. There's the first procession, Jesus coming into Jerusalem, the clearing of the temple, Jesus getting questioned. There's the Last Supper. What happened at the Last Supper? What did Jesus tell them? He prepared his disciples. He washed their feet. He, fooled them. he showed them the full extent of his love. Then there's the Garden of Gethsemane moment. There's this suffering, getting him, Jesus getting arrested, the second procession, him carrying his cross all the way leading up to Good Friday. What happened on Good Friday? What happened on the cross? We could spend 8, 10, 12, 20 weeks just on the cross. Jesus getting crucified, the two thieves, Jesus' final words, the seven last statements of Jesus. There's so much to talk about. We don't have time to do it. But again, I want to remind you to look at Holy Week, Palm Sunday and Holy Week from a kingdom perspective. 
that he came to be with them, to have fellowship with them, to save them from their sins so they can be forgiven and live forever, all because he loved them and because he loves you and he still loves you. And if you're here today for the first time and you're hearing the gospel for the first time, I want you to know today that God is not mad at you. He's mad about you. He loves you so much, and he loves you so much that God demonstrated his love for you in this. He died for you. And if it was you, he would do it all over again because that's how much he loves you. He loves you so much. And yet the people that he loved turned on him. Everyone scatters. His followers scatter. Peter denies him three times. And you would think that during Holy Week, three years of ministry, someone would step up to the plate. You would think coming into Jerusalem, there would be thousands of conversions and thousands of baptisms. But none of that happened. None of that happened at all. You would think there'd be one person that gets it. One person that would acknowledge why Jesus came, what he's about to do, what was happening in their lives. You would think that there would be at least one person that realizes their need for a savior. And yet it's hard to find that person. But there is a person. And to me, he's one of the heroes of Holy Week. And it comes in an unlikely character. And that person comes in the form of a thief. A thief nailed with another thief next to Jesus. Now, Jesus is in the middle, and they put two thieves that can see Jesus on each side. And if you have your Bibles, go to Luke 23, and let's pick up this story. Verse 32. It'll be up on the screens. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Well, they don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. And the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. So here's Jesus getting mocked in his identity. Here's Jesus demonstrating great grace saying, Father, forgive them, the ones that are actually killing me. He didn't wait for them to say they were sorry. Forgive them. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine and vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, this is the king of the Jews, mocking him again. One of the criminals who hung there, here it is, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he turns to Jesus. He rebukes, one thief rebukes another thief, and then that thief turns to Jesus and says this. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all he said. That's all he did. That's all he said. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today, everyone say today, Today. you will be with me in paradise. It's a phenomenal story. 
And as I was studying it this week, I noticed that Matthew had a different account. And you look at the book of Matthew, 27 verse 44, it says this, in the same way, the robbers who were crucified with them, robbers, both of them, with him also heaped insults on him. So you would think that it's actually a contradiction of Scripture because one of the thieves rebukes the other thief, turns to Jesus and says, remember me, that thief gets saved. But it's not a contradiction of Scripture. It's not a contradiction issue. It's a timeline issue. You see, during the time on the cross, that thief was just like the other thief. Vile and evil, hurling insults at Jesus. But at some point, while he was on that cross, he has a moment of clarity. And because of that moment, and that's all it takes, is one split second to have a moment of clarity. And his decision to cry out to Jesus and his decision to get saved and Jesus' response gives hope to every last-minute conversion that has ever taken place since Jesus. My mom was a thief on the cross, got saved four months before she passed away. And I'm, I know that one of the first persons that she's going to look out and look for in heaven is that thief that she'll have to thank. See, the thief on the cross brings us hope, and the religious hate the thief on the cross. You see, at some point, in a split second, after hurling insults at him, that thief has a fork in the road, crossroad, eternal life-altering decision to put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can too today. The thief on the right, thief on the left, with eternity at stake and hanging in the balance. There's no time left. No time left. This is, this is way... Anybody watch the, the first game of the NCAA last night? Anybody catch that game? I got two fans in here. Okay, that's good. That's good. That's good. San Diego State was down a point, losing the whole game, done with, and they get the ball with seven seconds left. The guy starts dribbling around, and then he takes this desperation shot with a half a second left. They're down a point. If the shot goes in, they win. The shot misses, they lose, and they're done. They're finished for the season. There's no time left. The shot goes in, everyone went crazy. Okay? There's no time left for these. This is, this is, this is double overtime. There's no time left here. Two guilty thieves, but one took a side of the cross, and it begs the question for us today, and let me ask you. Which side of the cross are you on? Which side of the cross are you on? The first one said, we're not that bad. The second one said, oh, yes, we are. See, your understanding of sin will determine which side of the cross you're on. And many don't understand the issue of sin. The issue of sin is never measured against somebody else, but against the holy standard of God. Listen, God was holy, is holy, and will always remain holy. And God can never be in the presence of sin. But thank God that Jesus Christ forgives us of our sin, becomes our sin, died and defeats our sin. That's good news. On one side of the cross, there was a thief. 
who didn't understand who the man in the middle was. The second one finally did. The first thief jeering at him, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us, making fun at him, mocking him in his identity. The second thief eventually came to the point in his life when he realized this is no ordinary man. There's no ordinary man. The first thief wanted to be delivered from his present situation. He said, save yourself and then come get us. You get off this cross, you take us with you. You get out, we all get out. The second thief understood that the issue was bigger than how bad things are in their present situation. He had a kingdom. He was somehow thinking kingdom thoughts. He said, remember me, watch this, when you come into your kingdom. Because he understood that there was something beyond his present situation. He understood that there's an eternity out there that he's going to have to face. See, most people want Jesus to deliver them from the cross of their current situation. Deliver me from this relationship issue, financial issue, work issue, health issue, political issue, abuse issue, worry issue, anxiety, addiction, strong, whatever. Deliver me from all these problems, not understanding that Jesus wants to deliver you from your eternal issue. You see, you let Jesus save you from your eternal issue first, and then all these other problems you're facing have no chance against the power of God now that you have resurrection power on your side. Amen? This is the scene on Palm Sunday. This is exactly what happened. The millions that were there, they wanted to be delivered from their current situation. See, the first thief operated from a place of fear. The second thief maybe understood for the first time in his life the fear of God. The first thief makes a decision of hate. The second one makes a decision of faith. The second one said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers the second thief, truly I say to you, today, everyone say today, you'll be with me in paradise. You know, in those two sentences, your life could be transformed. Your life could change today. Just in those two sentences. Notice the thief didn't have time to get baptized. Notice the thief didn't have time for works to fix the mess he had made, to get things right, to do another Bible study, to find out the Greek word for this, the Greek word for that. He didn't have time to make restitution. He didn't have time for any of those things. You know, there seems to be plenty of confusion about what gets us in heaven these days. And a lot of people still today think that their good works will get them over the finish line. And all this thief did was look and turn to Jesus. He said, remember me. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, remember us, like the first thief. He said, right now, I need a personal Savior. Remember me. I've sinned against you. I am justly condemned. And I've come to grips with the fact that I've offended a holy God, and I'm asking you to remember me. Friends, I want to tell you today, you may have a mother, you may have a father on the right side of the cross. But if you don't come to Jesus and say, remember me, so that he's your personal Savior, your personal Redeemer, Mommy, daddy, your denomination, your church, your baptism certificate, they can't save you. 
You have to have an encounter at the cross. You have to have an encounter with Jesus. Listen, here's, here's, here's a question I always ask a lot of people. I say, when was the day that you knew that all your sins were forgiven? When was the day that you knew that you passed from death to life, that you were saved, that you accepted Jesus Christ, confessed with your mouth, and believed in your heart? And if the first thought that comes to your mind is the church that you go to, this message is for you. Church is not the answer. Church helps. We're to be a part of a growing church, but the church can't save you. Steve can't save you. I can't save you. Only Jesus can save you, and it has to be your decision, your decision alone. The thief understood he had nothing to offer God, and he had no human remedy for his eternal need, and you don't either. So are you still thinking your works are good enough and God's going to change his mind and change the rules when he sees you? Listen, if you could be that good, Jesus wouldn't have to die. He could just wait on you to get better. The reason he had to die is because on your best day, you're still unacceptable before a holy God. Listen, from one thief to another. I wouldn't trust the best 10 minutes of my life to get me in heaven. I wouldn't trust the best minute of my life to get me in heaven. I'm a grateful thief. This thief, he was a bad, evil, and vile man. But right smack in the middle of his evil and vile life, he turns to Jesus. All he says is, remember me. Yes, I've robbed. Yes, I've killed. But Jesus, remember me. You know, you know what's in that thing? You know what's in that request? Faith. You see, you don't need a lot of faith to believe in a big God. He didn't have a lot of faith. He had maybe a mustard seed to ring out, remember me. Remember me. See, the thief asked Jesus to remember him, believing that Jesus would resurrect him and save him and welcome him into his kingdom. He said, Savior. He calls Jesus by name, which means Savior. He says, when you come into your kingdom, this is a kingdom moment. It's a kingdom moment. He believed that Jesus wasn't going to stay dead. That's faith. Do you believe that? When you die, you aren't going to stay dead. I'm, listen, there are a lot of people, my brother Ryan said it the other day, a lot of people claim to be this and that. But they didn't defeat, they stayed dead. Okay, I'm not going to follow someone who stayed dead. Jesus didn't stay dead. He came back. That's why, I, listen, Friday, Friday, let me tell you something. Friday will be, good Friday will be upon us, but Sunday's coming. Someone say, Sunday's coming. Come on now. Someone say, Jesus, thank you for not staying dead. You're alive. He's alive today, people. He, you know, my sister called me one time, driving around. Got a big cross on the rearview mirror, Jesus hanging on it, hits a bump, Jesus falls off the cross. She calls me up and said, Bill, Jesus fell off the cross. What does that mean? I said, whatever you do, don't pick him up and put him back on. Okay. <laughs> Keep him off. He's alive. Okay? He's alive. Listen. When you get there, Jesus, remember me. Not us, me. Truly I say to you today. Today's a key word. Listen, there's no candle waiting to be lit. 
when you die to take you from one place to another. There's no prayer that can be prayed to lift you from one place to another. When you breathe your last breath and you hear that buzzer and the bell rings and the game of life is over, there's no priest that can alter your eternal destination. You're either in or you're either out. Jesus said today, which means that Jesus didn't wait till Sunday to rise from the dead. He rose today, that day. Jesus' body rose on Sunday, but spiritually he never died. The physical body of Jesus died on Friday. And it's not uncommon for people to refer to Jesus as the God-man. And because he became the God-man, Jesus was spiritually alive the second he breathed his last breath. So will you. On Friday, he gave his life for our sins. On Sunday, resurrection day, victory day, death, where is your sting day? He is risen day, therefore I am forgiven day. Jesus was busy resurrecting others and proving he could do what he said he would do. Sin lost that day. The devil lost that day. The world lost that day. You won. Jesus won. Heaven won. And we're victorious and more than conquerors through Christ who defeated the death and the grave. The reason you want to be on the right side of the cross is to be, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Don't you want that? That's the blessed assurance that guarantees, that the, it's the guarantee that Jesus makes when he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So where are you going to spend eternity? Good Friday, Palm Sunday, Easter, this, this, it's, all about, it's all about salvation and heaven and where we're going to spend eternity. It's all about victory. And let me ask you again, which side of the cross are you on? To the thief who missed it, there was no conversation because there was no connection. Most importantly, repentance. Repentance is beautiful. Repentance is just walking down the road and saying, that's it. Forget that life. I'm walking with Jesus. Jesus is going to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I trust in you for the forgiveness of my sins. I'm walking with you. That's, That's all repentance. It's a beautiful thing. Now, Jesus knew that, that the first thief would live forever, but not with him in his kingdom. It would be an eternal separation from the king and his kingdom. When I worked in New York City at the Sheridan New York Hotel, it was right around the corner from Times Square Church. And it was before I was saved, and I would always see this billboard. It was an old theater where Jesus Christ Superstar, where they mocked the life of Jesus. They, they bought that theater over, made it into a church. God's done many miracles to that church. They used to have a sign there. And the sign always read for years, there's a heaven, there's a hell, and there's a choice. I used to think, well, that's pretty harsh. That's pretty harsh. Years later, I've come to think, that's pretty loving. And that's just like Jesus, because Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. And he never compromised one for the other. See, some want all the grace, but they don't want the truth. That's sentimentalism. Some want truth without the grace. That's legalism. But truth and grace is the power of God that leads to salvation. Are you on the side of the man who only wanted Jesus for earthly deliverance and didn't understand understand eternal repercussions? That's the Palm Sunday crowd. I don't want us to be a, a normal Palm Sunday crowd. Or are you on the side who said, I can't fix my... Myself, my problems, my sins, and I trust Jesus to be my redeemer. Last time we were in New York, I took Carol into this steakhouse, famous steakhouse, a little overrated, called Peter Luger's Steakhouse in Brooklyn. And they don't 
they don't take credit cards. They only take cash, okay? And they used to have a sign for years in, in their front window that said, in God we trust. Everyone else pays cash. <laughs> I love that. Listen, you don't have to like God's payment plan, but it's the only one he accepts. The only payment plan that God accepts is the payment plan of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only payment plan he'll accept that's satisfying his holy demand for sinners. It's the only one he takes. Bring him your self-righteousness, your own good works, your denomination, your church, your donations. He doesn't take them. He doesn't accept them. Now, listen, you'll be rewarded for them. when you get to heaven, as you store up those treasures for everything you do by faith. But when it comes to the salvation of your soul, those things don't have anything to do with getting saved. The only thing he takes is the death of his son. That's the only payment he'll ever accept. Which side of the cross are you on? My brother-in-law, Michael, is recovering really well few years ago from kidney from a kidney transplant anyone who ever gets a kidney transplant or any transplant has one big question and concern will their body reject it or accept it that's the question of eternity will you accept the payment of jesus christ for your sin or will you reject it one thief accepted it one rejected it for those of you who have made that decision and you are on the right side of the cross my question for you is this How grateful does God know you are for the price he paid to secure your eternal destiny? How grateful are you today for being forgiven? How grateful are you today for being called a king's kid? For having your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Listen, if you belong to Jesus Christ today, no matter how messed up your life is, listen to me very carefully. This is the only hell you will ever experience. If you belong to Jesus, your best day on earth, your best moment on earth will be your worst day in heaven. Heaven, the kingdom, is an amazing place. and It's going to blow our minds. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. I'm going to wrap this thing up. The Hebrew writer puts it this way in chapter 3 when he wrote, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. And has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. You know when the, you know when the best day to get saved is? Today. You don't have to, listen, you know what the mindset is? This is, this is, this is a spiritual blindness mindset. Let me get some things together. Let me get my act together, and I'll come to Jesus, and I'll come to church. Let me tell you something. You don't need to get your act together. You accept Jesus, and he puts you back together. 
That's what he does today. And he can do that today. See, I want to share my Jesus with you. You know why? So you can make him your Jesus. Which side of the cross are you on? Today, there is one who can give you joy. I know that there's people hurting today. And no matter how deep your pain is today, today, there's a healer. Today. I know so many here right now, you've got guilt and shame. Today, that guilt and shame can be gone. Today, you can be forgiven. Today, you can experience the presence and love of God. We don't have to chase the money tape, the money changers and the robbers. They've all been kicked out of COS. The temple is open. Business is open to go to the throne. Today. Today you can be forgiven, saved, made into a new creation where the old is gone and the new has come. Today, Jesus can make things new in your life. If anyone is in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. And guess who the new is? You. Today, Jesus wants to do a new thing in you and give you another chance. Listen, this is a house of prayer. Whatever you need today, the intercessors will stay as long as they have to to pray for whatever's going on in your life today. Don't put it off today. You know, people can mentally acknowledge that a historical person named Jesus died for their sins and rose again, yet not be born again. Believing Jesus is Lord is not the same thing as as believing that Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is the Savior. But for those who are saved, confess Jesus as their Lord of their lives and they live accordingly. What we choose to believe affects our walk and our talk. And if it doesn't, we really don't believe. Today, if you want Jesus to come into your heart, I want everyone to bow their heads right now. If you heard the voice of God today, and you realize your need for a Savior today, I want you to pray this prayer out loud. Say, Father, that's right. I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you, others, and myself. I repent of my sins, and I turn from my sins. I trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins and the free gift of eternal life. And I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, I believe that he died for my sins. Rose from the dead. So I can live with him forever in heaven. And for him here on earth. I acknowledge Jesus as my savior and my Lord. It is my desire to love you back 
by fully devoting my life to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I'll have the power and grace to live the life you planned for me thousands of years ago. Thank you for loving and forgiving me. Thank you for welcoming me into your family and making me a child of the one true king. Thank you today. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life that secures my eternal destination of being with you in paradise. If you just prayed that prayer and ask Jesus Christ to save you and to rescue you and give you an eternal home, still would you, I don't want to embarrass anyone, but it's a step of faith by saying that was me. And would you raise your hand and say, I accepted Christ today. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I accepted Christ today. If you did, thank you. Thank you. I want to say this. Welcome to paradise. (laughs) I want to say that there's a celebration in the presence of the angels in heaven right now. And there's a party on Palm Sunday in heaven right now because you gave your life to Jesus Christ. And the church should celebrate. Now you can take communion. Let's all take communion together. It's another major scene during Holy Week. I don't think the disciples had any idea when he took a piece of bread and he showed it to them. And he broke that bread. (laughs) And he said, this is my body. It's going to be busted, broken, shredded to pieces so much that the Bible says that he was, that you couldn't even recognize he was a man. That his body was ripped so open. Whipped. Nailed to a cross. He says, don't ever forget that, would you? Don't ever forget the sacrifice to how I gave my life for you. And do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. He took that wine and he raised that cup up just like he did with the bread. And every time he took the elements, he gave thanks. And we should give thanks. We should lift up the cup and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. Thank you that there's power in the blood. And when we drink, we should never forget what the blood did for us. Let's drink together. Now, let's worship together. And let's celebrate our King. Amen.
now sound a little like patty cake there we need to give the lord a shout of praise come on now 
get used to it. That's what heaven's like. 24 by 7. Shouts of praise. Shouts of praise. Isn't God good? And actually, the, the worship team, we were praying for you all um, downstairs. We, we like to pray um, as you all come in. And, and we just felt like there were some prayer needs um, that we wanted to call out. Um, a left thigh issue. Um, if that's you, please come up. We'd be honored to pray for you. Um, we also felt like that um, there were some people with shoulder issues that we would, we would be glad to pray for. As well as um, heart issues um, and a hernia issue. So, if that's any of you all, we would love to pray for you. And I also felt um, one more thing. Um, if this is if this is you, I feel like God specifically wants you to know if there's someone in here that is being plagued with thoughts of self harm. I just felt like the Lord's Father heart is reaching out to you today. Please do not leave here without letting us pray over you. Um, there is no shame. We just want to embrace you today, and I know that the law, the Father today is reaching out to you. So, God loves you so much. His word says in Isaiah forty-two nine: Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. God announces things to you. He announces things that you need prayer for. I heard anxiety, worry, guilt, fear, shame. I heard that while I was preaching the second service. That's you, you come forward too. These guys will stay around as long as they have to. We're like an officer and a gentleman. We got nowhere else to go. We'll stay as long as we have to. God loves you too much. And, and if that's you, that Julie had the word for, God, God would never give up on you. Don't you dare give up on God and don't you give up on yourself. For those of you that have to leave now, go, please go get your children. <laughs> but you, everyone else, go be a great translation this week and bring someone to Easter service next week. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for more information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can be praying for you. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope to see you next week.